Hello, and welcome back to The Struggles of a Single Dad. I'm your host, Kenneth Harrison. I'm going to start this episode with an apology for uh, taking such a long intermittence between this and my last episode, uh, which actually was a reshare from uh, my buddy Josh Riley's over at the Mass Consumption Podcast, which was a really fun episode. Um, unfortunately, I've had a, a few jogs in my life. Um, since then, I've had a job change. Uh, my oldest daughter has started wrestling, so I've been attending that and dealing with that, uh, along with the, uh, the financial struggle that comes with uh, your third divorce. Uh, I apologize for the hamster wheel in the background. My kids have a pet hedgehog, which they've aptly named Sonic, who didn't didn't need to run until just now, apparently. So, uh, thanks, Sonic. Uh, as any of y'all who know that have migrated from the Mass Consumption Podcast, we have pets. We are not ashamed of them. Even if you find them obnoxious, they're my pets. Back off. But, uh, yeah, that's, that's just, just part of life. Anyways, back at it. Um, been, been doing pretty good. Uh, my most recently soon, I guess we'll just call her my soon to be ex, but the wife that left, she, uh, she's actually started communicating with me recently, which is really good. Uh, I know where she is now. Uh, I do get to do get updates. I get pictures. Uh, that's still not enough. Absolutely not enough. Uh, everybody here should know that I absolutely believe that his place is with me as well. Like, I don't mean to go after him and just steal him away from her, but my son deserves his father. Um, being 13 hours away is unacceptable. And absolutely unacceptable. My son should be able to see me whenever he wants. All my other kids, they're able to come in, see me. My youngest daughter lives two hours away. If I got a phone call, she wants to see me. I'm driving two hours, and I will go see my daughter. If she needs me, two hours, I'll be there. I mean, that's I'm, I'm a father. Any anything that I have going is out. Like my kids come first. I've got I've got to be at the bank in the morning to sort out some stuff with my uh, my bank account due to the separation. Which I mean, obviously, I've been putting off. I'm sorry for the beeps. Uh, nobody wanted to message me until I started recording a podcast. If anybody does podcasts, you know how that is. Nobody wants anything to do with you until you're busy. But. Uh, I'm actually off for once on a Saturday. I work midnights now. I'm at work by two. I'm off work anywhere between midnight and four thirty in the morning. Like that's literally my day. It, it two is actually kind of a late start. Like I usually start around one thirty, one o'clock. But like I work the earliest I get out is midnight. So banking is a little tough for me. But, uh, Saturdays I work 7am to noon. So it's a real hard change up and working Saturdays, they, uh, I'm actually not getting to sleep in. I'm still getting up at seven o'clock. Like I'm going to work just so I can go to the bank. And that's because I have the time off and I can do it. 
and there's nothing actually going on. Then I'm going from the bank to my kids' wrestling tournament. I should have enough time to do it. If not, I'm going to have to postpone the banking thing again. Again, which sucks. But just one of those struggles of being a working dad who has custody of three kids, who's fighting, and the fight's hard. I mean, I, I get up and file new motions uh, every other week. I get up early once so I can go to the courthouse, file a new motion. And that's not me being in tight. I apologize. I can't speak today. That's not me being antagonistic. I'm, I'm literally just filing for stuff to keep the case, to keep momentum because the case is a 13 hour distance case. And that's what makes it difficult. The state that I live in, the state of Michigan, has a hard time dealing with out of state friend of the court. They just, it's really strange. Like most states will do an interim and they don't care. Michigan wants to keep it in state. So if I don't keep on top of it, then Michigan wants to shut it down. That dismisses everything I've done, all the filings I've done, everything in my file gets, goes cold. And then it's like I never did anything. Even if it does get, I do get something through or I get an attorney to open everything back up. Everything I've already put in that file is cold. It doesn't exist to the judge. So I have to keep it alive. It's, it's a really crude tactic, but it is a way to keep it alive. Uh, actually there's like, I'd say like 15 letters of failure to notify. Like it's, I've just been failed to be notified about and about and about and about like anything like every other week just to keep the file alive. Like there's literally one I was failed to be notified about cutting teeth. Yes. The judge is going to look at it and be like, that seems a little ridiculous. And yes, but that follows the other failures to be notified about everything. I have been failed to be notified up until she started talking to me again, of course, which I have, like I've had to redo the way I file motions. Look into your state laws. If you are using this as advice, look into your state laws on how files are handled by the friend of the court. The friend of the court is a very fickle beast and it's different in every state. Every state has a different guideline on how they do things. Some friend of the courts do not cold a file. They don't, they, they don't, they don't call it, I'm going to call it dead body. It does not go cold. It does not become a dead body. So your file is a living file forever. There are some states that even if it is a living file still, if the filing is more than 30 days old, it's part of the dead part, dead body part of the file and it goes cold and it's not usable anymore. So you really need to look at it and it's really hard to understand what, how some of the laws are worded or where these timelines come from. I suggest lawyers, like, especially if it's your first time. I know it's expensive and some of them will work with you. There are father rights lawyers who will work with you on payments. And I suggest doing that because you will learn a lot from them. The only reason I know 99% of what I know is because I hired a lawyer. And yes, I don't currently have one that does not make me like any right. I, I just know the law. I've, I've been through this one, two, three. This is my fourth time, fourth time dealing with the front of the court system. So I've, I've, I'm seasoned. I, I've hired the same lawyer 
twice. The third time he helped me with the filing uh, without a retainer. Like he helped me file it without a retainer. We had a we have a great rapport. So he helped me get through that. And then he basically told me what to say in court. And now I have a rapport with the judge. So I walk in there and it's not just somebody else in front of the judge who's going to complain. Like I have my own personal body language, my own style of talking to this judge, just like an attorney does, because I've built that rapport. I've spent thousands of hours in front of him. He's seen me spend thousands of dollars to spend thousands of hours in front of him to make my case. And he listens. It's just like any, like if you're in front of a judge for a non-criminal charge enough, the judge will not look at you as just another deadbeat. But you do not want to be in my shoes. I have six kids. I have six wonderful children I have fought every day of their lives for. To this day, I have a 10-year-old son now, he just turned 10, that every day of his life, it's been a fight. Yes, me and his mom get along sometimes. But the second she decides she doesn't like me, I'm backdoored. And I don't exist to him anymore. And I'm not allowed to ask about him. And then I get to fight again. Like there, there's like, there's good times and there's bad times, but my kids have seen me fight their entire lives. And that's, if nothing else, if I don't make any headroom and you like think about it this way as well, guys, if you don't make it anywhere, like you, if you fight and they see that you've been fighting, even if they don't see it. And when they turn 18 and they ask you, where have you been? And you show them, I fought every day just to be able to call you on the phone. That's all I wanted. I mean, of course I wanted more, but just to talk to you on the phone would be the best thing for my, uh, out of my day, just to hear your voice. When they see that, when they see that you were asking for timed phone calls, for visitation, and it, and it keeps getting shot down by the court, or you keep getting unlawfully denied by your ex, which does happen and in the state of Michigan. When you're unlawfully denied access to your child, it goes into a file. The mom gets a warning letter and then it happens again and they don't do anything about it. Even then, like I've got a friend of mine who will remain nameless in the state of Michigan. He does see his daughter on a much more regular basis now, but I watched him for three, three and a half years, just not be able to sleep at night at all. Because his his daughter's mom would deny him every visitation. She just wouldn't show up. She would tell him no. She would tell him that she doesn't need somebody like her dad in her, in her life. Like all sorts of vile things. Like, And there, it wasn't as nicely worded as that. Believe me. But there's... It, and he would file the paperwork every day. Every day it happened. He would be right at the courthouse. He would file it. He was calm in the courthouse. And he would pay his filing fees and then he would go on about his day. The next week or the next time his visitation was set up, happened again. He'd go file it. And they just kept building this huge file on her and it never went anywhere. The only reason he gets to see his daughter is because she remarried and that guy who Josh, oops, well, it's a very vague name. We'll just call him Josh. <laughs> Sorry, Josh who Josh could not get along with for the longest time, that guy stepped up and told her, like, look, he is trying, and you're telling him no. Like, you cannot hold that against him. This is all you. And when your daughter gets old enough, she will hate you for it. 
And just him stepping up and standing up for him, another man standing up. He is a dad too. So, I mean, that helps. But he's he had to stick up for him. And he had to stand there and be like, he's trying and you're not letting him try. You're just sweeping him under the rug. Like, that's not right. And that's that's... Like, I don't know if I could be with somebody like that. And they were already married and already had another kid when it happened. So he was like, no. And if you leave, I'm going to use his case against you, against you. I'm going to get custody of my kid too. So go ahead and try it. Which is a viable option as well. Because if you have, if you're in a situation like that, if you're, if you're looking to leave your spouse and she, you have stepchildren and she's horrible to their dad. Some states will allow that parent to be a witness in the divorce proceedings. State of Michigan is one of those you, and it, it's not, it's not that they're like, they, any attorney is going to argue that they're biased, which is fine. That's, they're not there to offer evidence. They're, they're there to build a personality description for the file. Like you're not, you, you're not, you're not using them as any, as a key witness, what it is, is you're bringing their information, what's in their file, the way things have happened for their case. And you're letting him testify to it. And then when he testifies to what happens in his case, that opens his case file up, which is court documentation. It is a court document. And if you've been to court for it, there are audio files, there are written files, Everything that's attached to a case between one person in that case and the person who was willing to testify against that person in the case or build the, uh, uh, man, why can't I think tonight? Build, uh, build the personality description for the person. Then you can actually subpoena that case file and use it as evidence. So you're not directly using what they testified to. You're just using the fact that they testified to you to get the information from the other file to pull forward to see if their testimony was actually valid or biased and that you actually need the other attorney to object to it to grab his file and be like we have evidence can we subpoena this file that person says yes the file gets opened up and then brought to the courtroom it's 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 black lined all over the place to keep it um confidential which doesn't matter because confidentiality was broken on the stand it doesn't make any sense, but, but it's black line to be confidential, but that fight, that case file is now used to render that testimony valid. And with that testimony being valid, now this is evidence in the case. And it's, it's a crazy loophole. My attorney told me about it and I'm like, cool, I'm going to use that. And then the guy who was supposed to do it for me backed out and he didn't back out because he didn't want to do it. He backed out because he, he actually is a deadbeat dad. He's $700,000 in the hole. His child support is less, less than mine. Um, and he's actually what they call infinitely behind because he's behind from date of birth and he's never going to pay on it because he's disabled. But okay. So he's, he's actually gotten a clean write off. Like he never has to pay on it. Technically he's supposed to, but they can't force him to pay on it because he's taking in SSI, which he's not disabled at all. He just doesn't want to hold a job. Um, but they, uh, but he'll never pay on it. So he's infinitely behind. He's, he's got an, he, what do they call it? Infinitely in arrearage is what the court calls it. 
but he doesn't like he doesn't get up in the morning and go see his kid at night he doesn't go see his kid he doesn't work and he doesn't make the time to go see his kid in fact his kid calls him and he just kind of brushes him off that's ridiculous but he never came to court for me and my attorney was a little upset about that I was like, well, you really can't subpoena him because like, technically we're using him to be able to subpoena his records. And the fact that he didn't show up for the first one kind of draws a chalk line around ours. So don't even worry about it. That's actually a really rough one for me uh, to this day because that, that kid's kind of been weaponized against me unless it, unless it uh, fits their, their agenda. Which is another thing dads have to worry about. A lot of people don't understand that, like especially parents who haven't been through it. Your kid will be weaponized against you at one point or another. And it's better to accept that than to, than to try and avoid it because like literally it, you don't even have to be there for it to happen. Like I've, I've gotten calls from CPS saying that I hit my daughter with a belt. My daughter, when she's here, doesn't get physically punished. <clears throat> I don't physically punish her because I knew her mother was going to do that. In fact, I went up until a few months ago, not even owning a belt because I knew that something like that was going to happen. They called CPS on me saying that I hit her with a belt and the CPS person came and talked to me and I said, well, what did the bruise look like? She said it was yellowed and old. Said my daughter just went home six hours ago from my house. If I hit her with a belt this weekend, then that bruise would not be yellowed yet. So that belt mark came from their house. She says, no, they said they don't use physical punishment. I was like, she stood on my porch and told me to my face that they belt her. And they're like, oh, well, we'll look into that. And they never did. Case got closed. They saw something. They weaponized my child against me. And children being pleasers, they are, no matter what personality they have, any child will try and make the person in front of them happy. That is just the psychological construct of a child. Told the CPS worker exactly what her mother told her to tell the CPS worker. And the CPS worker, when they closed the case, came back and said that they found that it was absolutely improbable for my child to to have been struck with a belt at my house. And they didn't further the investigation to the people at the house she's living in, which is criminal in my mind. That's another thing. Dads know that anybody, anybody with, with any authority will not, will not credibly or actively pursue allegations from a father because they automatically assume that they are retaliatory, that we are using them to get back at them, which I just read the statistic on it. It's like 85% of all false CPS allegations come from single mothers against non-custodial fathers. So uh, you do the math on that. There are billions, billions of CPS uh, allegations filed every year. And 85% of them or 85% of false allegations, which 90%, this is mind boggling. This is the society we live in. 90% of all calls received by CPS are deemed fraudulent allegations. 90%. Okay. And that's not saying that they're not fraudulent allegations and they're just being, and they're just being swept under the rug. The reality is, is when you make your neighbor mad, 
your neighbor calls CPS on you. When you bump into somebody's cart at the grocery store, that person calls CPS on you. When you tell the person at the check, the cash register, Merry Christmas, instead of Happy Holidays, they call CPS on you for mental abuse of your child and not letting them be a free thinker. Like, these are all actual CPS, like, calls that I have seen, physically seen happen. Neighbors, uh, parents, grandparents of children will call CPS if they don't agree with the way you're parenting now. I got to tell you one thing. My parents will never call CPS on me. They won't call CPS on my baby's moms. Damn beeps. But because when I grew up, it was a known rule in my house. If you call CPS on my father for him punishing you, they would have a reason to be there by the time they got there. And I wholeheartedly agree that agree with that. False calls are ridiculous. I was being punished. I was an unruly child. Actually, unruly was not the term for that. I was acting out. We moved uh, 1,300 miles my freshman year in high school. I dealt with it in a kind of unhealthy way. Gained a lot of friends out of it. I actually became really good friends. A lot of us went through life and grew together and became better people, especially because of where we came from. So, like, like I was, I was a difficult teenager. I don't have a hard time admitting that. I was probably one of the hardest kids on my parents. I do feel bad, but they did mold me into me eventually. But they're like. People use CPS as a way of ending an argument, and it's it's ridiculous. And fathers who, what was the statistic on father's calls? I'll have to look up on that, but more, it was a very high probability of father's calls are actually, like, based with evidence. Like, CPS could literally come to their house, come to a father who's making an allegations house, and nine times out of ten... Like they would, the father would have the evidence available for them. This is all you need. Here it is. Here's a text message from her phone with her phone number admitting that this happened. Here is the photographic proof that this is what happened. And this is the mark left on the child from the action, like all sorts of stuff. And like CPS just, it's a false allegation that came from a mad single dad. So, but the evidence is there. There's actually been a lot of CPS workers who have been getting in trouble for that. And I know this podcast has become kind of a ramble, but I mean, these are just, it's just kind of me going over the things in my head. Like there's, there's just so much that single dads have to worry about. Like single dads, like especially single dads of daughters have to worry about CPS coming to their house one day. And this has happened to a lot of my friends. It has happened to me. Like CPS coming to my house one day and saying, your daughter said you did this to her. Since the day I started seeing my daughter, I have never, never been in the bathroom to help her in the bathroom. I've never given her a bath. That has always been my significant other's job if she requires help. Only if she requires help. I wholeheartedly give my, like, and from day one, from day one of seeing her, I knew that that was a choice or that was an option available to her mother to try and play. 
And, and that's why I set up a barrier for that not to work. It's not because I had any, like any other reason. Like I knew from the second that I left the courtroom getting rights to visit my daughter. She said in the courtroom in front of the judge, in front of all the clerks, in front of the officer of the court, everybody, before we walked away from the stand, it might even still be on a tape somewhere in that courthouse. She said, whatever it takes, you will not see your daughter for long. And sure enough, it happened. And when they walked through the door, I said, no, there is a set of systems in place because I knew this was coming. And I absolutely knew it was coming because I was threatened in court that I would not see my daughter for long. So I set up every barrier to make sure that nobody at any time could say there was any unaccounted time for anything to happen. And it worked. CPS actually, by the end of the interviews with everybody I'd ever put in place, like there was not a single second unaccounted for. Like, so it, it worked out. But at the end of the interview, they said, okay, well, we don't believe there was any possible way for this to happen in your care because you are so careful and understanding of how there are, how bad moms use the system. And they actually apologized saying, we know this happens. We are sorry, but this is our job. said, there's absolutely no reason for you to apologize. I know this is your job. And since I knew it was your job and that you were going to have this issue because of the type of person she was, and it, like that's why this was set up. Uh, they, after apologizing, they said, we knew it was scripted when, and you, she's like, they said, like my daughter wouldn't look at anybody in the eyes. She was recalling stuff from memory and she was using terms that no child would ever know. Like, and yet again, that did not spark a counter investigation, which was absolutely mind blowing, but that's life. Like I even tried getting CPS to fire a counter investigation because like there were suspicions from other people that might've been doing things, but that's neither here nor there, but that's like, it's, it's bad. It's really gone to the point where that's where dads have to go. The first time they, the first time they receive any visitation is like for a while, like you may need a set of safety, safety people in place because of CPS. CPS is a horrible monster. It, it's absolutely not for the welfare of the child. It's for the welfare of the, of the government pocket. And that's what it is, is they're expending federal government, federal government incentive dollars that CPS gets in every state and the amount they spend or the amount of people they have on welfare cash assistance actually dictates what they get paid. So that's a really interesting thing to look into, by the way. So they, they really push a lot at certain stuff and they don't push it all at others. <coughs> Excuse me. But that's uh, that, but anyways, like it, what was really mind blowing <laughs> is it took her almost a year a year to come up with that. So for a year, I kept up this, this like really tight thing. I still keep up with a really tight timeline thing with my daughter because of who her mom is. And you can judge your partner. Like if you knew them well, I mean, some people have one night stand kids, which is fine. Like there's nothing wrong with a child. Like you had a child with somebody you knew for one night, 
Like that doesn't make the child any less like fabulous, magnificent, wonderful. Children are great. But, but if you, but like if you have a long-term relationship with somebody, you know the personality they have. You like, I can almost literally guarantee you, like I knew when I messed up when her mom was pregnant and I saw the way she treated me. She like absolutely did not believe we were equal. She believed she was better than me. She believed she was better than everybody in the world. Mind you, didn't have a driver's license. Was working at Little Caesars, claiming she was working 60 hours a week when my best friend was actually her manager and she was working 13 hours a week and she was lying to me. Um, so she can get out of the house, which was whatever. Like she, she didn't believe that she had to listen to people at work. She didn't have to listen to the police. She didn't have to listen to her mom. Like everything became an argument. Like, and if she didn't believe like she was going to, if she didn't think she was going to win it, she would shut you down and just walk away and never talk to you again, unless she needed something from you. And it was like, it, like I knew I had messed up at that point. Like, you know what? This is going to be the worst of my kids' moms. And it, it really, she really did become the worst of my kids' moms. Even to this date, I can guarantee you, even with the one that lives, that moved out of state, that she, she's still better than that one. I, I, it's like, she tries to manipulate the system. She went after her other kid's dad, got a huge spike on his, on his child support. I actually got it knocked back down for him. I pulled out all the, uh, pulled out all the information on how much child support they're allowed to take. And state of Michigan front of the court is not allowed to dock more than 60% of your income total, not for one kid, but total. Like, so all of my cases, if they all came together, they're only allowed to dock 60% of my income, but I have another argument in that fight. So I, I like, I'll, I'll talk about that a little bit more, but he, uh, he, so I, I got it for him. He was paying 87% of his, his income to her. And she tried making the argument, well, they have two incomes in the house. He was the main income grabber for the house. Almost all of their, um, cost of living was covered by his paycheck. Like very little of it was subsidized by his now wife's paycheck. And they took it into court and they, told them like here it is like this is the law this is my pay stub this is illegal the judge looked at it and he he basically said well i have to deduce it by this much she lost her mind that they were going to take any money away from her so they dropped it more said if you keep talking he'll go back to what he was paying prior to your increase because that she does that too like it is insane but he dropped it down and to make up for the fact they overcharged him, dropped it down a little bit more and they had to pay him back. So, so he like, and that's actually going to, what they're doing is, is they're, they've reduced his child support cost until they've reduced out as much as or it equals out to what he was overpaying. But, but yeah, she does that. She goes into court and she loses her mind over shit and thinks that she's going to talk her way into the judge's head. Uh, like the last time me and her were in court, like five times prior to that, 
was the first time me and her were in front of the judge together. And I refused to talk because every time I opened my mouth, she would start yelling. We were actually there because she pulled a false uh, PPO, a private protection order on me. And said I was following her around in my work truck, which you can't follow somebody around in the work truck I was driving. I was an over-the-road driver at the time, driving a semi. And I was driving highly like valuable loads. So I was satellite tracked. I had fingerprints on file at thousands of shippers across the U.S. Like I hauled government loads, all sorts of stuff. I mean, not, not like classified government loads. Like I hauled passports for the Air Force, the Navy, stuff like that. Like I hauled all sorts of stuff, but it was specialized loads and it was highly valuable. So I was tracked constantly. I was heading for New York from South Carolina and I got a phone call from an attorney of mine's friend or a friend of my attorney saying, I just got given a piece of paper with your name on it and phone number. And since this is your attorney, it's being served to your house. I said, well, I'm not there. So they can't serve it to my house. He said, how could we serve this to you this week? And I said, you can't serve it to me this week. He said, well, where are you? I said, I'm in South Carolina. I'm heading for New York. We need to give you this piece of paper really soon. And I said, well, my attorney is so-and-so serve it to my attorney. And they said, and they said, no, it has to be served to you. It's a protection order. I said, so serve it to my attorney and my attorney will serve it to me when I get back in town. 35 minutes later, I get a phone call from my attorney. He says, where are you? I said, South Carolina. He goes, how long have you been out of the state of Michigan? I said, 13 days. He goes, can you prove you've been out of the state for 13 days? I said, yes. He says, apparently you were following your ex around for five and a half hours last night. That's funny because I was sleeping at a TA in South Carolina at that time. He said, can you prove it? I said, yeah. There's a satellite tracker on my truck. He says, do you have, he obviously asked, do you have access to this? I said, yes, I have access to everything that goes on with my truck. Satellite tracker information. I had a. BOL's bill of ladings, which is what tracks shipping information. Walked into the courtroom. Judge looks at me and says, what do you have to say for yourself? He said, for one, I wasn't in the state. She started rattling off and he never shut her up. So I just let her go. And eventually he shut her up and he goes, well, where were you at the time of the, or the time you were accused of following Miss Moot? And I said, it was in South Carolina. He said, can you prove it? And I handed him out, printed out satellite pings. It was 35 pages of satellite pings with the date in question highlighted. And she said, well, he could have just gave the truck to somebody else. And I said, your honor, my truck's worth $380,000 and it's mine. The trailer attached to it belongs to my company. It's worth $65,000 and it belongs to my company. The equipment attached to my truck that belongs to my company is worth another $25,000 it's all insured under my name. My truck would not be given to anybody else. He says, I believe him. He says, Miss Smoot, I believe that, oops, I shouldn't have done that. Hopefully you can understand that. He says, ma'am, I believe that you are using the, uh, the legal system to bar leverage in your favor. And it is an absolutely, an absolute disgrace to the legal system and makes you an absolutely horrible human being case dismissed. So after that, me and that judge have had a perfect rapport. And that was the first time I've been in front of him as a district, district, oh, come on. Why can't I think? Circuit, 
circuit court judge. That was, the first, that was the first time I've been in front of him as a circuit court judge. I've been in front of him as a district court. When he was a district court judge for small claims and stuff, I worked for companies that like had a lot of incidents and like I had to do some filing, like say my roofing crew had a problem, go file. Uh, like that was a long, long time ago before I started driving. But yeah, like I'd, I'd been in front of him as a, as a witness. I'd had small claims put in for like my, my storage unit got broke into and a bunch of tools got stolen. And the only way I could file it was small claims uh, because if I tried filing for the actual value of the tools, then it would have cost a million times more. Like it cost like $300 to file a small claim. Uh, and that was only because it was over $2,500. But if you go to the $5,000 claim limit, then you have to file felony charges and you have to have actual people. Like I was filing it against the security company because they failed to secure the, the units that they were in charge of for that night. And that, like I got my money and it came from their insurance company. So nobody was that hard off. But if I went anymore, I'd, I'd have to be able to name a suspect and I'd have to have the police investigate him before I could file it. And that's just not cheap, but that's all right. Like I, but that's, that's neither here nor there. But after that, me and him had a rapport at a circuit court level. And we, uh, and now like when, when I go in there, like I let her talk first, like, because usually they ask her first, but I let her do, th do her thing. And then when I becomes my turn, he asks me a question and I will utter the first word and then I'll hold my finger up because I know she's going to start rattling and he'll just wait and she'll start barking and then they'll shut her up and then I'll finish my sentence. And then the next question, I'll utter the first couple words and I'll hold my finger up and he knows what's coming and he'll, we'll just wait and then she'll start barking off <laughs> and then he'll shut her up and away we go. Like he's had to threaten her with contempt of court like 15 times. It's great. He refuses to listen to her too because it's all nonsense. Like she just babbles. She's never had a lawyer. My, like he knows my lawyer and I've, I have stopped and said, your honor, I'd like to postpone the remainder of this proceeding until I can get my attorney here. And he has to let it happen. He like, he's, he's gotten frustrated me before. I'm like, why wasn't he here to begin with him? Well, because I was going to be able to handle this, but with her speaking out of turn so much, or with her degrading my personal, like degrading my reputation so much in court, I need my attorney here because I need him aware of the situation. And he understands like the, like that's the one thing everybody has to understand about judges. Yes, they are hard to a T people. They have to be, their job is hard. But if you build a rapport with them and you get in like, and you give them that benefit, like of giving them the time instead of him just being the guy that you have to explain everything to and he has to hear it your way or else he's going to hear it wrong. Like, that's not the way you talk to a judge. You give him the respect and then you answer his questions. You do not give any more information. When he asks you and he will ask you, like somewhere in the, in the questioning, usually at the end or towards the end, he will ask you, is there anything else that I might have missed? Is there anything else that you would think or that you believe would help me or do you, or do you have any words for yourself? Like there, like it's been worded a million different ways to me, but he will give you a chance to speak your mind and you can tell him in my personal opinion. And that's, that's what I find works the best. 
like she uses the word, the fact is, the fact of the matter, it is this all the time to him. And she talks to him like she's going to control him. I tell him when it comes to that, like, and she does that all the time. But I let him, I answer his questions. When he gives me that opportunity, I tell him in my personal opinion, from this line of questioning, this line of questioning, this is how I feel about it. This is where I see it comes from. This is what the problem I believe is. Like, I don't give it to him as a fact. Let him, it's his job to figure it out. Give him that respect and you'll get it. That's why attorneys, a good attorney always talks to him that way. And when he says, my client feels he's doing the same thing I did. He says, my client feels this is uh, a not a fair solution for him because of like he's giving you, he's giving the judge the same respect that I, the same way I give it to him. It's just that he's got a professional demeanor around it. So that's, that's where it changes. Like he's getting paid to do it. So he has a different, a different set of like, wow, why can't I think today? He has a different vernacular for it. That's what I was trying to say. So you let, like, if you have an attorney, let him talk for you. If the judge addresses you directly, answer questions. Do not give him filler. Answer the question. That's like, that's what he wants. He doesn't want to like, think about judge Judy. Like seriously, think about what you see on judge Judy, the way she reacts to the people in her courtroom, the way she handles situations in her courtroom. If you do not give that judge the ability to come up with an answer on their own, and you're trying to force the answer on them, their answer is not going to be that answer. He's in a position of power. He has been given that position of power because he is, he is, very much so qualified for that job. Any judge sitting on a bench, if you think that they are underqualified, if they're worthless, they got their job for a reason. They were attorneys first. And somebody said, you are an amazing attorney. You, you do a phenomenal job with this, 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 and this. We believe you would be well-rounded for this position on this bench as a judge. Somebody saw something in them at one point, even if their demeanor has changed, even if that judge has been in that seat for 15 years and he's just become a yes and no judge. At some point he was an attorney. He was a, like somebody saw something very great in him. You need to give him that respect. That is how you become the yes man and not the no man. Like that judge was, deserves your respect. Even if you feel like he's not in your favor. Like I, I still feel like that judge does things against me, but I don't think he's doing it intentionally. There are laws in place. There are a lot of things in place like look up 4V <clears throat> it's child support 4V look that up read that that puts friend of the court in bed with the federal government which is illegal the friend of the court receives federal funds in comparison and directly related to the amount of child support being received from fathers quote from fathers so that's why Fathers rarely get custody is because the friend of the court gets paid for what fathers paid them. So, but yeah, read that. It's great. It's nice to see a violation of federal laws. Separation, separation of federal and state branches doesn't exist as long as it pertains to family, friend of the court, family court, whatever your state calls it. But read that. That's, uh, that's been thrown around in California. Uh, there's a bunch of YouTube videos of people getting in front of the, the House of Rep in California. 
uh, Wisconsin. There was one in Utah, one in uh, Nevada, Texas, about five of them in Michigan. Uh, it's happened in New York of dads getting in front of those representatives and just blurting out like their emotion. And they, they read off, they read off 4V and then they just, just ding off of each little subspin they can and they just feed it back to them. This is why this is illegal. This is the problem with friend of the court. This is why you don't have the best interests of my children in place. This like, like you are financially feeding off of what I'm doing. So you do not have the best interests of my child at heart. And that's, that's phenomenally mind boggling and it's destructive. It is like compoundingly destructive. If, if they really sat down and looked at it, the actual ratio of good fathers and bad fathers is about 50, 50. It's probably much, much less on the bad side, but here's, here's where I'm going with this. Good fathers compared to bad mothers, it's about 50-50, like one-to-one, right? Now, a good father, mo- like it's very highly likely that a really good dad who has the best intention for his children at heart and is probably the better parent for custodial, custodial custody usually has a really bad mom. I mean... Like that's, and that's what made them a good father. Like, I'm not saying that all good fathers have that, but there are some dads that were shitty people and they became really good people and really good fathers because they had to, because if not, their child would not have survived. And then when everything separates and breaks down, now you're left with a really good father fighting with a really bad mother who does nothing all day and is living off of state aid like, and that's not all of them. I'm not bundling everybody up here. I know it sounds like I am, but there's there. I mean, there's a lot to this and there's a lot of statistics behind it, but there, there are, there is starting to become a breakdown at, at front of the court, family courts, all that. There is becoming a breakdown where they are seeing that there are fathers who deserve their children more than their mothers do. And not, and that is no reason to take your kids away from your kid's mom. Like my daughter, my youngest daughter still lives with her mom and that's fine. Like she's a real difficult mom to get along with, but I just don't have the ability to take care of four kids on my own all the time. I mean, my mom babysits for me and that's, that's kind of a heavy tax load for everybody. But I mean, there's the whole thing, the whole thing this breaks down to do your research. Anything I've said, double check it. Anything that like I've said at a state level, check your state. I mean, we probably don't live in the same state, but, uh, other than that, stay smiling. If you need anything, you can always send a message. Uh, I think my email's on the splash screen. So just go to my page, send something into me. I'll talk. I will absolutely talk. Go to the Facebook page, send me a message there. If you need anything, like just like, if you need to talk, because it gets rough guys, I know it gets rough. If you just need to get something off your chest, come talk. But with that, keep smiling. Have a good night. God bless.